This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Lindsay Hine, and today you're listening to episode 88. Today, my guest is Sasha Wolf. Sasha is the founder of Still I Run, which is a community of runners for mental health awareness. Their mission is to promote the benefits of running for mental health and through their collective stories defeat the stigma around mental illness. Sasha founded this organization once she found the desire to find other like-minded people who used running to help with some mental health struggles. Mental health is a disease that does not discriminate and it can affect anyone. Sasha herself found running during a time that she really needed it and she shares her story in this episode of the podcast. So Still I Run is a community that's for everyone. It welcomes people at any and every point of their running, physical health, or mental journey. They have a starting line scholarship program that's designed to help people get started from providing a pair of shoes and running gear to coaching and training plans. They have you covered. This was and is a huge passion project for Sasha, and she'll tell you all about it in this episode. She's also the mom of two and works full time as well. So this is her side thing that is a full heart thing that hopefully one day might be a full-time job thing for Sasha. You can learn more about Still I Run when you go to stillirun.org. All right, friends, if you enjoyed this episode of the Illuminate podcast, please consider leaving us a quick rating and review so that potential new listeners can find us and check out our other shows in the network. I'll have another with Lindsay Hyde. Why is everyone yelling with Lindsay Hyde? The Up and Running podcast and the Urban Pharmacy podcast. You can follow us on social media, Sandy Boy Productions, or the Illuminate podcast to learn more about those other shows in the network. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Sasha Wolf. I'm so excited to have Sasha Wolf on the show. Welcome to the show, Sasha. Thanks for having me. Super excited. I'm excited too. You have built such a wonderful community with Still I Run and I am excited to learn a little bit more about your personal backstory as well. But first of all, your daughters are one and three. What's going on in your world right now? Are they at school? Are they at home? They are at daycare. We luckily have an in-home provider who lives down the street and she's been open most of the time, which has been great because for them, I don't even think they realize there's a global pandemic going on. That's (laughs) awesome. I'm thankful life is normal for them for the most part, except for, you know, the week or two they sometimes have to spend at home because of daycare issues or whatever. Well, yeah, and they truly are young enough that things do feel normal. I mean, it's when they get a little bit older, you know, obviously the kids, the bigger kids in school are in masks and different things have been canceled. But when they're one and three, like life kind of just rolls on. Yep. They don't care as long as Bluey, their favorite TV show is on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mentioned the Still I Run community, but you also work full time as well. So tell us what you do in your day job. Yes. So my day job is working for Herman Miller Furniture. Um, and I am a global human resources communication specialist. So anything that goes on human resources wise uh, with Herman Miller and any of the subsidiaries we own is uh, all under my uh, command. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah. Were you working from home before the pandemic or are you just always? 
Nope. I am working from home now. Uh, it's been just over a year, probably a year like today. Um, so it's been, it's been lovely to have the opportunity to work from home and stay safe. Um, and also still have my kids in daycare at the same time for most of the time. So good. There's nothing better than working from home and kids not being home. <laughs> uh, exactly. I am also pregnant right now, too. Oh, congratulations. Uh, so thank you. So being pregnant and working from home is great because if you get sick, you don't have to tell anyone. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's true. And you don't have to worry about um, like what you're going to wear. Yep. Haven't had to do that, which is great. So you work full time. And you also have the Still I Run community. Tell us a little bit about what that community is. Yeah, the Still I Run community is um, all based on uh, a group that I started back in October of 2016. It's a group of mental health running warriors. That's what we like to call ourselves. Uh, And we're all about promoting the benefits of running for mental health, um, defeating the stigma through talking about our journey of running for mental health, And then just kind of creating a safe place where people feel comfortable telling their stories Um, in the still everyone community that we have on our private Facebook group. We've got people posting in there every day, like, I really need encouragement to get outdoors today for my mental health. Like, can you give me a little word of wisdom or a quote or something? And so it's just a really positive and understanding, amazing community. And where did it come from? Yeah, it's really personal for me. So um, it will be a decade this year, but um, in 2011, I checked myself into a mental health hospital for depression and anxiety. And um, one of the things that I learned there, along with the importance of medication and therapy, is kind of just developing a healthy habit. And for me, that healthy habit turned out to be running. Um, Not at first, it was more of a uh, saunter through the neighborhood. Um, eventually it turned into running and I started looking for other people that ran for mental health. I figured I can't be the only one in the world that does that. And I, I couldn't find anything. So finally gathered up enough courage in 2016. So there was a lapse of time there mm-hmm. um, and, and launched the group myself. And it's just been super overwhelmingly positive since then. It I launched it without even the intent of it being national or it being a nonprofit. It kind of just developed into one and we're an official 501c3. So it went from an idea to this huge, amazing nonprofit in, you know, the course of it'll be five years at the end of this year. You were just looking to create a community of other people who had experienced mental illness like you have to just connect with and yeah who are also using the tool of running to be one of the players in helping them feel better yeah I figured you know if I put out a, a Facebook page and a really bad website that I created by myself that maybe I'll find a couple other people in the uh, in the area I live in that also run for their mental health um, and then you know thanks to the powers of social media it kind of um, started getting shared with other people and now we have ambassadors all around the country and um, the little running group that I started is now, um, uh, you know, more nationally known. Um, I want it to be a national movement someday, but baby steps. <laughs> so when you mentioned that when you were in the facility and they mentioned um, you need to find a healthy habit, what did that conversation look like and how did it turn into running for you? So when they said healthy habit, I was like, all right, obviously that's not um, going out to the bar. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's not getting into bad relationships. Uh, how about reading a book? Uh, that was their suggestion at first, like starting a book club and, and reading a lot. And um, I remembered when I was having that conversation that I kind of ran on and off before then. Um, so when I was discharged from the hospital, I just figured I would put on my pair of Walmart running shoes and go around the block with my dogs and see how that felt. And um, just the sense of accomplishment that I was able to do that um, really got me hooked. And, and, you know, there's obviously the the chemical component of movement for mental health. Um, so that's kind of how I like got into running for mental health. I started with that small walk and went for longer walks and then, started a couch to 5k program and 
I now have several marathons and races under my belt and absolutely love moving and running for my mental health. Okay, so I feel like there's this like controversy because you know a lot of times you've seen the shirts and like people that say like running is my therapy or like (laughs) anti running is my antidepressant so it kind of like puts this like oh being depressed isn't that big of a deal just go for a run um kind of like stamp on it um and you know my thought is always like running is for my mental health and it's for I think I would argue that's for everybody's anybody who Mm -hmm. runs is doing it for their mental health, whether they realize it or not. Absolutely. But talk about that intersection and the piece of like, okay, running is a piece of my mental health journey and getting to a good place. But like oftentimes there are lots of other pieces that play into it, like medication, like therapy, like finding a group of like-minded people that you need to connect with to to um, be a part of a community with. So can you talk about those components? Yeah. So for me, um, I used to say running is my therapy. And then I got into a discussion with someone from the Still I Run community um, about that. And very similar to what you just said. And I'm like, you are totally right. Like running isn't just this cure that's going to make you magically okay, suffering from depression, anxiety, any other mental illness. What it is, is it's a great piece of a toolkit. Yes. So one, one thing I always suggest and say now is that it's great to have a mental health toolkit. And mine consists of running, medication, and therapy. When one of those pieces starts to fail, I reevaluate that piece. So if running for some reason starts getting really stressful for me, I pull back a little bit. If I feel like my medication isn't working as well, I book an appointment with my psychiatrist and we adjust my meds. Same thing with um, just not being able to cope with a you know, life circumstance. When I had really bad postpartum depression after my first and second born, um, I made an appointment with my therapist. So I'm always constantly looking at the tools in my toolkit and tweaking them um, so that I'm the best version of myself while managing my mental health. Okay, so what I loved about that is the fact that someone, I don't know if you want to use the term, called you out, but was like, hey, that's not actually, you know, running's not actually therapy. And it sounds like what you did was handle that conversation with grace, something that (laughs) there is a lack of on social media. And you considered, you know, I, I have this like whole idea in my head in this past year or two of like, reconsidering everything I ever thought, right? We're reconsidering things all the time. And it's the way someone approaches you and also the way you respond and react to that. Just total game changer for the outcome of not only the relationship, the conversation, and what you and that other person ends up believing. Absolutely. And like, I don't know everything. I mean, yes, I I lead still I run I'm the founder, but I don't know absolutely everything about everyone's experience. So when this person brought this up in that manner, it was really polite and just like, hey, have you considered? I was like, oh, my goodness, of course, you are totally right. Because like just saying running is my therapy kind of lessens therapy and mental health almost like, oh, I can just run and I'm fine. Um, so I'm so glad that she brought that up to me and I'm always absolutely willing to consider other viewpoints because like you, I have learned so much about what I believed in before and it's all being changed. Um, and I think when we listen to each other and really hear what the other person is saying, we're going to be a, a much better society in the long run. Yeah. I'm reading, uh, Marie Forleo's book, everything is figure outable. Have you heard of it? No. So she's like a business entrepreneur, started out as a life coach when in her early 20s. She's like, who am I to be a life coach at 23? What do you, I mean, would you hire a 23-year-old to be your life no. coach? But ends up, she's actually like really good at this. She's, she's probably in her 40s by now. But anyway, um, in her book, the chapter that I'm on right now is about how like you get to choose what you believe. Um, and like you're raised with this certain belief system and you can actually like change those beliefs. And I think it's so hard to move away from thoughts and and ideas that you 
were raised to to believe your entire life, you know? So this whole concept of like you are saying this is running as therapy and like just altering that in your mind. It's just like one little simple switch. Um, but it's just the power of choosing what you believe to be true. Yeah, I I love that. I need to check that book out. Um, because speaking of like things that you're brought up to believe, I was brought up in a very Christian strict household. Um, where the Bible says suicide is a very selfish act. And mm-hmm. I grew up believing that and that, that hurt me for the longest time. And now I know that is absolutely not true. Um, you know, it's a hard topic to talk about, but it is a very real issue within the mental health community. And it is not a selfish act. It is just something that you, you can struggle with. You can die by suicide because the depression gets to you. And that is something that's very real for me, having had depression since I was 18, officially diagnosed since 18. Um, so my whole mindscape about that topic has changed completely. And that is something that I will preach against forever. <laughs> wow, that's so interesting to me. So do you still practice the Christian faith and just view the Bible with a l- different lens? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, I still practice the Christian faith, but, um, I do so within the lens of how things are today because the Bible was written, you know, 2000 years ago, things have obviously changed since then. Yeah. We can get tattoos and guys can grow their beards. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. I'll move on from this, but another book I read (laughs) was, um, all things reconsidered by Knox McCoy. He he's one of the hosts of the podcast, which is my favorite like go to mindless podcast to listen to to just hear about pop culture. And the hosts are really funny. And a lot of his book is like kind of like funny whatever pop culture stuff. But there's a big section on his faith, and it talks a lot about not suicide particularly, but all kinds of other issues um, in the Bible that are super controversial. And much of what you just said is like, as I was reading the chapters, I was like, underline, 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 because I feel the same way. I need to definitely read that book then. That sounds like it's right up my alley with how I grew up and how I believe today. (laughs) I think a lot of us are feeling that way. I don't know if you listened to my episode with Ryan Hall, but we kind of talked about that a little bit at the end of the episode. And I had quite a few people reach out to me like, yes, I I have experienced this in, in my adult life as well. Um, okay, so you mentioned postpartum depression with your first two. And so, you know, it's a super common thing that I think a lot of times women don't even realize that that's what they're going through. You know, I'm curious, pregnant with number three, how are you like preparing for this knowing it's a high probability that it could happen again? Yeah, it was the interesting thing is it was definitely worse with my second one. So I have it in my head, like the third one might be even worse than that. Mm -hmm. And that that scares me so much. But I have a great husband who has been through it twice now with me. And I know how to talk to him about it. I know that I immediately need to talk to my psychiatrist to uh, adjust my meds. Um, And I also uh, gave my therapist heads up, letting her know that, you know, the postpartum depression might rear its ugly head again. Um, but I, I think mentally preparing myself, knowing that it could very well happen is, has been huge for me. Um, and it, I mean, it's such a hard thing to talk about like postpartum depression, because it's supposed to be the happiest time of your life. You, you just created life, you brought new life into the world. And then you're feeling like you don't want to be around anymore. Um, but I think just the mental preparation and then knowing that I need to tweak a couple of the tools in my toolkit is going to be super beneficial this time around. What do you say to a mom who you sense could be going through postpartum depression for the first time? I would tell her, and you know, this is me personally, but I would tell her that it's definitely not uncommon and that it is okay to feel this way because our hormones are just going all sorts of crazy right now. And it is okay to get help. And if they needed help getting that, I would work with them to find something because I, that's just how I am. I'm a helper. Um, and then I'd also just sit with them too, because sometimes with postpartum depression, um, you just, need to feel like there's another presence there. 
Um, that's a, that's a good and tough question though. I like it. (laughs) You know, one of the hardest things for me, um, postpartum and the anxiety struggles that I've had, it's, I am always have my worst bouts in the middle of the night Mm. or like Mm -hmm. when I'm trying to go to sleep and it's like the house is quiet. My husband's dead asleep and it's so lonely. Yeah, I I have had many of those nights. Um, and one thing that I, I did get in the habit of after my first child and before my second child is I wrote myself just these affirmations, like you are a good mother, you can do this. And it's just a reminder that when my mind was clearer, like this is the stuff that I believed in. And this is the stuff I need to remind myself of now. Um, and that's something that I definitely, with baby coming with baby three coming soon, that's definitely something I need to get into uh, the habit of again, just so that I can remind myself that I've done this twice now and I can do this. And if I can't, there's definitely help out there. So much of this too is there's so much like proactive self-talk and like proactive things like that. Like you said, you wrote those affirmations that it's so easy to like be so in your head about whatever the problem is or the issue is or whatever the specific anxiety you're facing is that like you just choose not to do any of those things. Um, And this is aside from medication and all that. I mean, I'm just talking about like everyday basic things we can do to help like the everyday habit that you were talking about um, that you learned in treatment. Um, You know, I, I have these like major struggles with health related things like everything and I know a lot of people have this but I always think like whatever it is I'm dying like I'm going to be told I have terminal cancer tomorrow what anything that pops up and I truly like get in my head so bad that I believe it and it like affects my life so significantly and one of the things I'm working on is like those proactive things so that like you know anything can happen you know, anything, anything could be reality, but like working through how to talk yourself off that cliff. Yep. Yeah. And and the other thing too is, and I think this is where therapy fits in nicely is just having that rational brain. Mm. Someone with that rational thinking, ask you more questions about it. Like, do you really think this is going to happen? Do you truly understand what needs to happen in order for your worst fear to come through? Um, so that's where my my therapist has really come in. She, she takes my irrational thoughts and she makes them more rational. And that is part of like the cognitive behavioral therapy that I've been working through for years. Um, just kind of taking those thoughts and, and making them more um, realistic, if you will, because I, I totally get in my head too with multiple things. I'm like, Oh my goodness, the world is ending. What do I do? <laughs> That was, I don't know what baby I was postpartum with, and I have never gone to a therapist. I don't know why. I think out of laziness and not wanting to face it. When things are good, I don't want to face it, you know? And then when right. things are bad, it's like, okay, let me just get through this right now. Um, but that's that's the cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy is, is what my um, OB has suggested to me multiple times. Yeah. It's absolutely wonderful, and I'm super thankful that I have a therapist that that's the method that they use to help me out because I definitely have an irrational brain from time to time when it comes to depression and anxiety. How did you find the courage to check yourself in to get treatment? Um, so I was having a panic attack in the parking lot of Best Buy. Like Some details I remember very vividly and some I don't. Um, but the person I was with at the time had suggested that, you know, I had been having a hard time leading up to this. There was a lot going on in my life. And I don't know if it was just kind of a, a sign from God or something. But as soon as the person said, I think you should go to Pine Rest and check yourself in. I said, OK, it it there was no hesitation, really. I was scared as all get out because that's a huge decision to make. Um, but I'm glad that I had the wherewithal to go, all right, this is an emergency. If I had a broken leg, if I had a heart attack, I would go to the ER for it. I'm having a panic attack and my brain needs help now. So why not go to a mental health clinic and check myself in? Um, I don't know what made my brain make that connection in that moment at time, 
Um, but I'm super thankful that it happened. Um, scary. I, I don't know how I mustered up the strength sometimes because it's still one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do. Are you still in contact with the person who suggested that? I'm not, unfortunately. I think maybe that person was just placed in my life at the right moment to, to help me get to where I am today because there's no way that I would be this comfortable sharing my mental health story or even starting a nonprofit running community had I not gone to the hospital for a week for, for depression and anxiety. Wow. That's, that's such a cool story. Just the fact that, you know, it doesn't, I think it just speaks to like, you, you don't know who that person's going to be in your life that might make a suggestion like that, that could totally alter the trajectory of your life and help you. Yeah. Yeah. Or their, or their role in, in your life. Like some people just come into your life for brief periods of time and, it's not until afterwards that you go, oh, that's that's why I met that person. And that's yeah. absolutely, that was their purpose. That's so cool. When did you meet your husband in this journey? I met him in 2015. So right before I started Still I Run. Um, and he knew all about my history. Uh, he doesn't have experience with anyone in his family or friends um, that has had a mental illness. So I was the very first person for him. Um, and that, that was interesting because he didn't quite understand mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, but m- after me sending him article and article and article about what it's about, and then also sharing with him and being vulnerable, um, has helped turn him into one of the biggest mental health advocates for me that I know of. That's so great. Um, talk about that though, the fact that it does run in your family and I know that played a big factor in you deciding if you wanted to have your own biological children. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, my mom and my uncle, so her brother, and then also her father have um, depression. And it's it's absolutely genetic for my family. And I didn't want to pass that on to my kids. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish a mental illness on my worst enemy because it is so hard. It is something you constantly need to be in charge of and looking after. Um, and I didn't want to put that on my vulnerable little kids, Mm. uh, if, if they were to have inherited it from me. And so, um, after starting still, I run in 2016 and, you know, being vulnerable and talking about mental health and realizing that I can do something about the stigma. I can do something about the way people talk about mental health, um, really got me in a good spot where I was okay if I had children. Um, because if they do have a mental illness, crossing my fingers, they do don't, but if they do, hopefully by the time they're old enough the world will be a little less stigma filled Mm -hmm. and, or hopefully I will have given them the tools to be comfortable to talk about mental health at an early age, because I didn't talk about it until my twenties. That's a long time. So if I can equip them now to be able to talk about depression and anxiety, just the same as if you were to talk about diabetes or heart disease, I, that would be wonderful. (laughs) It's like we grew up in a culture that that just wasn't a thing like it was a thing but it wasn't a thing that was talked about and it's like you were talking earlier about those the tools in your toolbox if you can provide your young kids with tools for their toolbox at the age of like five or six or 10 or 15 instead of them you know, ending up having a massive breakdown in the Best Buy parking lot when they're 23. Not that that won't happen too. It might happen too. Um, But we have like the, we have so many resources now. And so I think that that's part of this conversation that's so important is educating parents of young kids that we can provide them with tools for that toolbox, just like we would if they had diabetes or a heart condition. Yeah. And the other important part to me is just like, you know, growing up in school, people make fun of depression and anxiety or like, you're crazy. You're Mm -hmm. psycho. Why is she psychotic? Like if my kids hear that, I want them to say like, that's not correct use of that language. Mm -hmm. Like that is a real illness that people can't help. Um, And hopefully, you know, raise the next generation of advocates so that the generation beyond them is stigma free. 
Okay. I have to tell this side, little side story about being a kid and mental health. When I was younger, I remember mentioning that I had OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And a kid saying to me, like, you know, don't don't make fun of that. That's a real thing. Just like you're saying, like, you hope your your kids have the tools to, you know, be able to stand up and, and say that. And you know what that did, though, to me? It kind of made me feel like I don't really have an issue. There's nothing, you know, like I've made this up in my head. And actually, until recently, I haven't really talked about it too much as an adult because um, I don't know. I've kind of been like my condition isn't so serious. Like there are people with much worse conditions. But I, I don't know what I was listening to. I was listening to another podcast where someone was talking about their obsessive compulsive behaviors. And I had this like really emotional experience sharing how I received that to my husband, like, oh my gosh, like, yes, maybe the way that my OCD and anxiety is, is like much smaller in comparison to other people. But like, this has really been a ruler of my life for a really long time. And I think finally in this past year or two, like owning that and accepting that being a part of my life has kind of helped me not come out on the other side, but just process things like, oh, that's why I feel like that. And I know that my brain does that, you know? Yeah. And, and that's something that's super important too. like depression, anxiety, OCD. They all they're all different in that. Um, yes, it's real for that person, um, but there's varying degrees of it. Yes. So there's, there's like major depressive disorder. Um, I have what's called recurrent depressive disorder, which means sometimes it hits me really bad. Other times I'm high functioning mm. right now. I'm completely high functioning, but that doesn't mean that I'm 100% okay. And that my depression isn't bad enough, you know? Yeah. So do you, when you feel that that might be coming on, do you go straight to the doctor and say, I think we need to tweak some things? Yes, absolutely. I have lots of warning signs um, for myself just because I know myself really well. Um, and I will immediately like put in a call to my psychiatrist and we'll look at medication at first. Um, and then, uh, you know, if there's issues that I need to talk to where my irrational brain just needs some help processing things, then it's an immediate call to my therapist. Um, but yes, I'm having had depression since I was 18 and I'll be 37 can't remember 37 this year. <laughs> I'm very cognizant of uh, how I work. <laughs> I'm curious what your feelings are on alcohol because you mentioned like, oh, going out, like maybe that's not helpful. And like the healthy habit of running is, is helpful. I, I asked that because, you know, I think as a, a culture and society in America, like alcohol gets a free pass on a lot of things. Yeah. Alcohol is is definitely an addiction. And I know that I come from an addictive family. Like we, my grandfather was an alcoholic. Um, and the interesting thing with alcoholism and mental health is if you are on medication, the alcohol is going to affect that and make your medication not work as well. It's also going to make your irrational brain act even more irrational. Um, so I think that those two can definitely go hand in hand. And I, it is unfortunate that alcoholism gets a, you know, a free pass in terms of, of mental health conversations sometimes. But I, I think that's why when you look at um, how the government has things um, put together, it's always mental health and addiction services. Mm. Um, and that's where alcoholism would fall under. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like I think it's being talked about more. But, you know, even alcohol being a risk factor for cancer and and all kinds of other diseases, it's like you just like it's almost like we're living in this world where we want to be like, la, 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 la. I didn't hear that. I want my glass yep. of wine at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, there's a there's a whole movement around this. I know there's tons of books on this like naked mind movement. There's a book called uh, Naked Mind by Annie Grace that is really good. Um, we, we've been very actively trying to drink much less alcohol. And, and I, now that we have eliminated it a lot more than we ever have, oh, I see it. Like, you know, on a day that I have alcohol, like I struggle with my nighttime anxiety a lot more um, 
for me personally, there there is a direct correlation. So um, I just think that we hide from that alcohol talk because we want to drink our alcohol. Oh, for sure. It's fun. It makes you forget things. It makes you feel good for a brief For a break. moment. Yeah. <laughs> but for me personally, every medication I've ever been on, it makes it so that the next day is a complete downer. It mm-hmm. ruins the effects of my medication 100%. So I could be happy for an evening and then have a really bad day after, but that's not worth it to me. So do you sustain completely or do you let loose on like uh, occasions for uh, events or whatever? Yeah, I'll, you know, do the the tailgating thing uh, for University of Michigan occasionally, um, but it's very few and far in between. <laughs> yeah, sadly, it's part of like, oh, you go to a party. Of course, everybody has a beer in hand. Yeah. Um, So I think, you know, I think it's also normalizing not having to have a beer in your hand at a party. Yeah, I I will totally be on board with that trend in the future. Just I don't have to drink. I can have fun on my own. Well, let's dig a little bit more into the Still I Run community. I want to hear about the scholarship program you have for people. You know, I just talked to Mel Charbonneau about this. It's like, we like to say that running is super cheap and easy, but like it's not always super cheap and easy and there are barriers and you have a really cool scholarship program. So can you share about that a little bit? Yeah, the starting line scholarship we launched in 2020 um, and it, it goes back to what you just said. Um, running isn't easy necessarily to get into if you don't know where to start. It's not easy to know what pair of shoes to get, how to start training Um, so the starting line scholarship takes away all of those barriers, like needing accountability, needing, uh, finances for, um, getting into a race if you want to getting the right pair of shoes. And so the starting line scholarship, um, will equip people with, um, a pair of ultra running shoes. So it's sponsored by ultra this year. They'll get, um, running clothes. So like moisture wicking top bottoms and proper socks. And then Wazelle is, um, sponsoring sports bras for people that need them. On top of that, you will also get some awesome still I run swag, a certified coach to train you one-on-one virtually, um, for eight to 12 weeks. You will also get a personalized training plan entry into a 5k or 10k of your choice. Um, and still I run takes care of all the details and then a, um, still I run mentor to kind of be your personal cheerleader for the amount of time that you're in the program. I mean, that is so cool and what a concept to like figure out, but actually execute on It's There's so much dreaming and thinking in the world and to see people executing on those dreams like you is just, it inspires me so much. Where do you find your coaches? Who writes the training plans? Yeah, we have three wonderful volunteer coaches. Um, they have reached out to me over the years um, and said, hey, how can I help? And Aww. they offer services. So they they all volunteer their time, which is absolutely amazing. And each person gets their own tailored plan. Um, and then I have a wonderful team of volunteers that kind of help with um, Still I Run's day-to-day operations, if you will. Uh, So we have a selection committee that will go through the applications. We have a group of volunteers that have um, said that they want to be mentors for our our scholarship recipients. So we really try to surround the recipient in um, experts in terms of training for a race. Um, And then just a passionate individual that really wants to see them succeed. Uh, The really cool thing about the three coaches that we have is that they're each intimately familiar with mental health issues. One is a neuroscientist. Wow. One, <laughs> he's amazing. Um, and then one is a sports psychologist. And then the other is um, a mom of one who suffered through postpartum depression. And she knows intimately what it feels like to be in one of those very low valleys. Um, so we really tried to make sure that we've got a great team that is familiar with, with mental health, because that's one of the big things here. We want to help people start running for their mental health, have a good experience doing it and hopefully continue it on for the rest of their lives. Yeah. The consistency is, you know, across the board, consistency is what will ultimately, you know, keep you, keep you there. Like long-term you have to do it 
you know, week by week by week by month by month by month. How do you um, provide support? Like say someone graduates out, they've been there eight weeks. Is it just through, hey, you need to stay connected in the Facebook group? It's a combination of the Facebook group. And then we also kind of make them a part of our family forever. Uh, so we email them all on a regular basis, just doing check-ins, seeing how they're doing. That's awesome. Um, because we never want to be like, hey, you graduated. See ya. See ya. <laughs> we're, we're very passionate about everyone that we help um, and know them all on a very deeply personal level, which is, which is great. I, it's one of the reasons why I really love Still I Run and all the volunteers that we have. Um, because absolutely everyone is involved with seeing everyone else succeed. I'm curious what your message is to someone who is part of this community um, and doesn't run for a week and like wants to get back in it. Because, you know, we all have moments where we're like, I'm not into this right now. Or like you said, there are times when you're like, I need to step back from running because it's not bringing me the joy that, you know, it was originally planned to bring me. So what is your message to that person? We actually see those messages a lot in our Facebook group. And the the very first thing we see is this person has a tremendous amount of guilt over it. Mm -hmm. And what I tell them immediately is give yourself some grace. What would you say to someone else who was in your shoes? Would you tell them, oh, buck up, get outside. No, you would, you would tell them they're doing awesome. You would give them some grace. Um, and the other thing I say is even if you can't go out and run, if that's exhausting to you right now, do something healthy, whether it's meditation or yoga or reading a book, do a little bit of self-care. You will hopefully and eventually get back to a good spot again, where you're wanting to run every day. Um, and where it's not a source of stress for you, but in the meantime, be kind to yourself. Yeah, I like that. Find find a replacement healthy habit. Mm -hmm. And maybe that ends up being a replacement where like you just alternate. Yeah. And, and the one big thing about Still I Run that I'm super passionate about is that, yes, we're a group of people that run for mental health. But if that's not your flavor of exercise, you know, it could be Still I Yoga, Still yeah. I Triathlon, Still I Bike, like it doesn't matter what you do as long as you get out there for your mental health. I love that. Um, what are you guys doing or is there anything coming up with Mental Health Awareness Month coming up in May? Yes, we have um, our big mental health run streak. Uh, it's something that we've been doing the past, this will be year four, um, but we invite people to run or walk. Uh, we've even had people rollerblade um, one mile every day for mental health awareness. And it's a really great way to encourage people to get out there and do their own mile in their own way uh, for their mental health. But with everybody posting about it, it raises such great mm -hmm. mental health awareness. So it's kind of like a, a benefit of two things there. Um, and when people sign up, they can sign up for different levels. Um, and each one comes with different swag. So like Boko socks or a sweet Boko hat. Um, and then the, the, cool thing about it to me is that because still I run is a hundred percent volunteer led, like even I don't take a salary from still I run, um, 100% of the proceeds go back into our mission to help, you know, promote the benefits of running for mental health, getting people involved with that starting line scholarship. Um, so it's kind of, you know, a win, win, win all the way around. Do you have a vision for still I run to become your full-time job? I would love that. That would be my absolute dream. And that might be a few years down the road. Um, but this is something that I'm never going to give up. It's going to be my mission to, to make Still I Run um, a very large mental health movement. Um, so that it's just a normal thing when you say I'm running for my mental health. I love mental health movement. That's literally what yep. it is. Yeah. And I've, I've heard from several people. They're like, well, what if I just walk? Like, can I still be a part of still I run? And I'm like, yes, yes. like, let's get t-shirts. Still I walk, still I yoga, still yeah. I make this everything. <laughs> I love that. Where did it come from? The still I run? Yeah, it came from Maya Angelou's poem. I've always loved her stuff. Um, and still I rise has just been mm. so inspirational to me. Um, and I actually, uh, I got the idea for the tattoo, the tattoo on my arm that says still I run actually came first. Um, 
and uh, there's an arrow underneath it so that when I'm, I'm looking down at my wrist while I'm doing a really hard race, like that arrow is pointing forward and it is telling me even though life is hard or this race is hard or my mental illness today is hard, still I run. So it's kind of become like a mantra as well. So good. How many people have that tattoo? Um, I don't I know of three people for sure. Um, and then there's also another logo we have where these these crossed arrows and it says run with a semicolon at the bottom for the semicolon project. And I know of at least 10 people that have that tattoo, which is so cool to think about. So wait, it's run with a semicolon? Yeah, um, it because it goes back to the, the semicolon project um, where when you're writing, you use a semicolon as kind of a pause in a sentence. Okay. Where um, it's meaning you want to continue on. So when you're writing and you use a period, end of the sentence. Semicolon, you want to continue on. So mm. it's all about wanting to continue on in life. Um, so that's why we've got a lot of uh, semicolons kind of baked into a lot of our stuff. That's awesome. I kind of want to still I run tattoo. <laughs> I love my tattoo. I want to get more. <laughs> also kind of terrified to ever get a tattoo. But I, I feel like you're always, it's always like, okay, if I get a half tattoo, it has to be like super meaningful to me. It has to be super important in my life. Well, I don't know what's more important than that. Still, I run. It's <laughs> what I've been lacing up through all these babies and, you know, whatever mental battles or physical battles I've gone through, still I run. I'm sure so many yep. people listening feel the same way. I've, I've got two tattoos. One is my last name and the other is uh, still I run. And I feel like you can't get any more meaningful than that if it's going to come to a tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it your maiden name or your last your last husband's last name, your new na- last name? It is my maiden name and also my married name. I, uh, I was one of those women who was like, I want to keep my last name. Dang it. <laughs> you know, as I was spitting that out, I was like, Lindsay, what is this 1982? She probably like <laughs> kept her last name. <laughs> I am stubborn that way. What can I say? And I mean, come on. Wolf is a really cool last name. What is your husband's last name? Stevens. Okay. So what are your girl's last names? They are also Stevens. I didn't want to confuse them. Um, and we are not into hyphenations. So I just said, that's fine. Stevens works for everyone. <laughs> I actually feel like I saw a Twitter th- thread on this. Did sa- were you in that? I know. Okay. Somebody asked, I think it was Susan pass and she was, I think she's not married. She's in her thirties. And she was like, Hey, it's just asking like curious if you kept your maiden name, what names do your kids have? And there, I did a deep dive on this like string of answers of people. <laughs> some people had hyphenated, some kept the husband, some kept the wives. And um, yeah, that's super interesting. I feel like if you get married uh, later in life, yeah. like not, not that mid thirties is later in life, but yeah. <laughs> when you get married in your mid thirties, it's like, eh, I've had this last name for a while. Oh, totally. It's totally different <laughs> than getting married in your early to mid twenties. My, I mean, my sister took her husband's last name and she wasn't old at all. Like, older to get married when she got married but she on all of her work stuff she still goes by her maiden name because at that point she'd kind of made her career and as a writer with her maiden name yep people know me as Sasha Wolf so may as well not confuse them for sure (laughs) um all right Sasha what's something professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet hmm I would this sounds so cliche for me but I would love to turn still I run into a full-time job yeah (laughs) It would be amazing to just have one job instead of like a full-time job and then a part-time job. <laughs> I am telling you what, you are like the third person in a week that I've talked to that are like doing multiple ventures like this. And I'm like, man, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. It's a passion project. <laughs> but you know what? Passion projects are, that's what the big things start out as. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just the, the big things don't, Unless you're a rich and famous person, the big things don't fall into your lap. Right. And I believe in this more than anything. So I'm, I'm going to keep with it. I love it. Um, what is the best, most recent book you've read? I am currently reading Four Winds. It's a new Kristen Hanna book. Oh, is um, it good? Yeah. I'm, it's historical fiction about um, the Dust Bowl and how bad it was. I 
I had only read about it in, you know, history books, very bare bones facts. Um, but kind of reading it through the context of some, one family's experience, I'm like, how did people survive that? <laughs> so it's really good. I love it. Very resilient story. Her books are always good. I'm addicted. I'm trying to think of a lighthearted, fun book to bring with me on our spring break trip this week. Do you have any good suggestions? Um, oh, I just read a Jenny Lawson book. Um, she is hilarious. I can't remember the name of the book right now. It's her most recent one, but it's just stories about her growing up and her dealing with mental illness as well and how she gets through it. And she is such a vivid, hilarious storyteller that I'm like, I want to be best friends with you. <laughs> I'm looking up her book. Is it called Let's Pretend This Never Happened? Yes, it is. It is so funny. And it's great because um, it's a bunch of little stories strung together. So if you don't read it for a couple of weeks, for whatever reason, you're not going to go, oh, what just happened in the last chapter? Um, and it's it's really great for me as someone that's busy to be able to pop in and out of a story and not need to remember what happened before. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay. Let's forget this never happened. Did I say it right? Let's pretend yep, this never happened. Jenny Lawson. We'll put it in the show notes, everybody. If you could have coffee, tea, or cocktail with someone fun, motivating, or inspiring, who would it be? Uh, Brene Brown. Mm. She is she is amazing. And um, I actually credit a lot of what I've been able to do with Still I Run to her uh, because I had just read her book, Daring Greatly, about vulnerability and shame. Um, and after reading that, I was like, I can do this. I can accept my past and who I am and hopefully help others through that process. Um, so if I could sit down and have coffee or beer or, you know, pizza, ice cream and talk to her, pick her brain, that would be amazing. I love that. And you know, that's why she wrote that book so that people have those experiences that you've got to have because of that. That's so good. She is so inspiring. What is your last message you want to leave with the audience? Um, I will go back and say, give yourself some grace. Uh, that is something I'm not really good at giving myself a lot of the time. And I'm very good at giving it to others. And we are all, no matter where you're at in life right now, we are all going through something incredibly hard in terms of the pandemic, uh, racial injustice, um, in, you know, just the current political climate and things are hard, but give yourself some grace, pat yourself on the back. You're doing fantastic. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Sasha, for sharing your story. You can learn more about Still I Run when you go to stillirun.org. And you can learn more about Sasha. Sasha is on Instagram, Sasha Wolf, W-O-L-F-F. You can find us on Instagram, The Illuminate Podcast, as well as our production company, Sandy Boy Productions. You can find me personally, Lindsay Hine, 626. I'd love to connect with you over there. Thanks for being here. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you next week.